I was an addict. You can see it there. You know, I wanted to push things. I wanted to. Um, I was. I had a great discomfort in my own skin. Find someone you trust and love, and just tell them. Tell them you need help, and there's always someone to help you. You don't want to, you know. Anytime someone would ask me, I'd just be like, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because you get really good at manipulating. You get good at covering up. You don't want to be in the spotlight, and you get really good at lying. Hello and welcome to Make and Tain, the podcast breaking the stigma. I'm the host Dan and I'm the founder of Make and Tain. And the podcast is a safe space where the guests open up about their personal stories and struggles along the way in hopes that their incredible stories will inspire you. And if you haven't already, please make sure to click that subscribe button, whether you listen to this on your podcast platforms or you're watching it on YouTube. Honestly, I really appreciate all the support. And if you want to give me a follow, head over to underscore make and say So this week on the podcast, I'm joined by Al Segill, who's a chef, but he talks very openly about struggles with alcohol and drug addiction when he was younger. And he talks about having this first drink and he just felt different from a young age. Like the first time he drank alcohol, he just felt different. And we kind of speak about addiction, whether it's like environmental or is it like in genetics? And we talk very openly about that with Alistair, why he kind of became an addict. And we also speak openly about therapy, definitely from a guy's point of view. And we kind of talk about, there's a bit of a stigma attached to that sometimes. So we kind of talk about the, the stigma attached to therapy and, and the importance of it, both in Alistair's life, but also with himself as well. Let's jump into the podcast with Alistair Gill. Alistair, absolute pleasure to get you on the podcast today and honestly kind of hearing about your story obviously with addiction and obviously recently being diagnosed with ADHD, it'd be great to kind of get you on the podcast to break the stigma about that today. How, how are you getting on anyway? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, absolutely knackered, but good. <laughs> been a busy, busy time of year for me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me on. No, pleasure. And obviously being a, a chef as well, I imagine the hours are, are quite long, I, I can see it. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny. Well, yeah, I do private catering now. So it's it's uh, it's very calm until it's not. And then suddenly it's just bam, 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 bam. And usually this is quite a quiet time of year for me, but it seems to have just kicked off, which is good, but I like to complain. Amazing. And we were, just saying, we were just saying then before we got started as well, obviously like your kind of relationship with allergies, obviously um being a chef and obviously working in catering but also you say you one of your friends has got allergies as well yeah well my, my cousin is is highly allergic to peanuts and so all our life yeah, i'm very close with him and even like if we were able to go on holiday i've seen these moments where it's been horrific where it feels like he's nearly died in my arms and it's so it's it's, it's something i hold really dear that and i understand that there's actually really little information about it people don't get it and I'm, I've actually been very, as a chef, and knowing that, I've been very impressed when you do see it in places. I was actually impressed with, I think I went to like a members club, which I'm not a member of. Is it so, Soho House? Because they're, yeah, they're, they're brilliant, yeah. So, well, I was amazed by them, which actually very few people do. But what is amazing, if they, they ask you if you've got an allergy, and if you say yes to anything, the waiter isn't allowed to take your order the chef has to come out and take your order. And I think that's genius. That's exactly Because that's where it all happens. It's the miscommunication between the waiter and the chef. And I get it, you know, we've all worked in restaurants, you know, if, you, well, if you've waited and you've got some important information, you can lose that in the rush of the restaurant and then suddenly it's gone. But they don't understand that someone can die at the end of that. 
and it, yeah, it's, my, it's a big deal. I've always said like that was one of my best experiences. I've only ever been there once. A friend that like, invited me along, and like like you said, like when he gave me that option, he was like, "Do you want me to like? Do you want to speak to, speak to the chef, or do you trust me?" And even just like giving me that option as well. Like I think now the, the chef actually has to come out, but like giving that option just like really reduces like your anxiety. I imagine. Um, or for anyone obviously living with an allergy. So yeah, it's a shame there's totally. not more, more places like that totally. kind of thing like, yeah. I, I have a feeling they probably had an incident because I know like they used to have a very big Asian menu and they used to be had nuts on the table and suddenly one day it was all scratched. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, good on them. No, and we, we jumped straight into it, but could you just do like a brief introduction to the listeners if they've not come across yourself before, Alistair? Yeah, sure. So I um. Ali, Alistair, uh, I'm a chef living in West London. I'm an alcoholic, drug addict, um, a sober one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, thrilled to be here and to 30. What else do you want to know? I'm a tourist. Yeah. <laughs> if we go, I always love it with guests. I think I always kind of go back to them, like kind of like the, the early years of, um, because when I got back to the early years, you, you kind of, you can limp back the docks kind of thing looking back. I mean, what yeah, was the early yeah. years like for you, obviously going, going through school? I know it's quite interesting. I read that you're, you're very different to your sister. Very different to my sister. Yeah. Who um, went to Oxford and yeah, for the style people and all that. Good on her. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, yeah. It, I mean, it's funny because I, I look back a lot as well. And it's actually, it's only recently, like, you can start to think whether, how helpful that is, because I can get completely obsessed with it. When I start to look back to, I mean, like, as an addict, you start to think a lot of the questions of, like, why, why the fuck me? Why, how did this happen? Could this have been different? And actually, it's a bit like watching your house burn and thinking, oh, I wonder what started that. Yeah, yeah, it's actually, it doesn't matter. You can get, like, obsessed (laughs) with, like, the, the small details when in reality, like, yeah, I mean, it just, just put out the fucking fire. But it's, uh, it, it's, I mean, like, it's funny because it's also, it just comes down to identity as well. You know, I can, I can feel, I feel, weirdly enough, I can feel lost as a kid. I felt like I had a problem with identity as a kid and I felt like I had like, a problem with identity now in sobriety. But I kind of, in an odd way, had one while I was using. And that kind of played into it, you know, into hugely like the shame more than anything but also i guess pride with it as well and it's a weird one pride because it it sort of feels like shame and pride are opposite but they go they go hand, hand in hand, hand yeah, yeah. yeah i mean what what was that age then for yourself then when you realized it was a problem obviously like alcohol i mean that I imagine that was you quite so, young it's it's it's, it's, it's a tricky one what 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 was what was what do you mean when it was a problem for me? I mean, or I mean, do you what know, what, what someone would have looked at me going, that guy has a problem. I mean, what what age would you say when you you started obviously drinking alcohol? What age was that? Uh, I, mean, I don't really remember my first drink, but I can't imagine it was particularly different to everyone else's. Probably around like twelve. Yeah, <laughs> that's about normal. That's probably, guy. Yeah. <laughs> We're English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's that young guy binging him. Yeah, but yeah, I, I I don't remember really what it was, but I I know that it felt different, and I remember that feeling as a kid of it being different. You know, I and I remember being really confused why everyone didn't want to fucking do this. You know, this is something it was having a, it had a completely different reaction to me. That was clear uh, because I I that's what I wanted to do. 
Yeah, I had, I had a, a guy on recent called Eddie Steiner, and he was saying like when he was drinking his friends, like he was literally like going through the cupboards when they was like out playing like in the garden or whatever, and he was literally just like like craving for it. I mean, did, yeah. did you did you know from that from that young age when you had that first drink, like God, like I felt you felt different to the other kids in terms of like you was yeah yes yes, but it's it, it's kind of like how much do you dwell on that? Because also, I suppose in a way, you know, addiction is camouflaged by teenage years. It's it's you can kind of look at it and think, oh look, that's a teenager getting drunk. You're not gonna have the light sort of so stemmed on them and think oh we've got to sort that out because it's a teenager getting drunk it's like whatever um but yes i guess i would have known there was something different me did i care probably not for a long time but it's also you know but also stems from this thing of i didn't i guess yeah i didn't feel much self-worth as a kid and as in school because i wasn't good at any of it and so you don't when when you're not when you don't achieve anything or get any feedback of being of worth. You don't you don't get that feeling. Uh, but so that when you try drinking drugs, it's like okay, well this is that feeling. Yeah, and you try and you find it in like obviously the worst places. And like you say, you you kind of you you spot yeah. that so you're really struggling with school. Obviously, I mean now we know you've got ADHD, but that wasn't even diagnosed then in school when you're no, no. struggling like yeah and it's so funny it's so depressing because i feel like i'm just at that age now where it's back in my day you know it's like oh back in my day they didn't really see adh <laughs> uh but i think you know everything's all you just got put down to dyslexia reading about yourself and obviously your dad is obviously a very famous like food critic and journalist what even like your mom like very successful as well was it was there any like pressures as well as a kid as well like obviously your dad was very much in the limelight. I mean, I'm just trying to think as a kid, for me as well, obviously you, you kind of very much look up to, to your parents of, of what they've achieved or where they get to. And um, I'm just trying to think like, was was he like additional pressure as well? I would say probably yes. But my pride doesn't want to say it. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't think... It, you know, it's really hard to diagnose too much because I just don't think for a long time there was too much going on in my head. I think, you know, my life was really simple. I cared about getting high and drunk for just a long time. And it was like, it was very, you know, I say it's a really easy way of putting it is that, you know, my my life when I was using was really easy and I wanted to kill myself almost, you know. And like now, in sobriety, my life is fucking hard, but it's amazing. And it's a weird one that, you know, it was, it's, it's, there was almost, you can get caught up in thinking that you're being liberated by only having, you know, this one cause. Um, but obviously, the reality is I was put in chains by it. Um, but yeah, you know, I did, I didn't, I just think I, 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 I I didn't feel pressure directly like that. I would have thought there'd be more of an existential just sorrow of this was who I was. Yeah. Well, I mean, what was that moment, you know, when, when you kind of mentioned there, like you, you felt a bit lost, obviously, like, and um, obviously your friends going off to uni and they've got a very kind of clear path of where they're going from A to B and you're at that stage still very unsure. I mean, that must have been quite difficult obviously seeing that i mean and it, and then did that make you turn to drugs even more then in some ways yeah totally of course you know that 
this is this is essentially you could put you know that yeah, I I drank on my feelings. I drank and I used because I don't like my uncomfortable feelings, and that was my solution. If I feel anything about that, of, oh god, this is shit. About it. it doesn't matter. I can go get a bag, you know, and that's the constant circle that you're in every day. Um, so yeah, it, it it's the deal. So essentially, yeah, you could say there's an incredible influx of too much emotion going on in all addicts, and the discomfort is too much. So that's why we all used to accept and you know really the drugs you know drugs and alcohol is just tip of the iceberg of what it is to be an addict you know it's it doesn't um you know drugs and alcohol are forcing themselves down my throat and in my nose it's what is making me do that guys uh, was the only one you could like speak to during that time or was it like too much pride you, you kind of mentioned there like was was there any like friends you could turn to or at that point you didn't even realize it was an issue as big as an issue as it was like well i, I actually wrote in one of the things one of the first people that gave me my advice to go was my drug dealer and so i think you've got a problem oh wow <laughs> and he's the first one that <laughs> i don't fuck off yeah, yeah. Keep giving me pills in one hand and advice in the other <laughs> but yeah you know of course there are people to turn to and this is like the big thing i try and tell you know all everyone who's still in the eye of the storm is find someone you trust and love and just tell them tell them you need help and there's always someone to help you but you don't want to you know anytime someone would ask me i'd just be like yeah, yeah, yeah i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine because you get really good at manipulating you get good at covering up you don't want to be in the spotlight and you get really good at lying um and you know it took me that long it took me so long to realize that saying i'm not okay was an option i really didn't think it was and you know there's also a huge part of that of being british i think being a british i think a whole new layer of, you don't want to make your first oh, i don't want yeah. to be a problem yeah. <laughs> i get it's, it's so weird that it's such a british mentality um well, I, I, choose as well with your I, I, I asking for allergies you don't want to be a bother at a restaurant well, that's what I'm saying. I'm like one of them people. Like, I, the whole reason I created Making Say was to get people to like make a fuss about their allergy because like so many young yeah. like kids or teenagers <laughs> is like, don't mention they got an allergy, then go into anaphylaxis or have allergic reaction because they've not started that like conversation. So it's, Snickers, it's mad. It's not yeah. be awkward. Yeah, it's yeah. just ridiculous. <laughs> For you, what, 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 how old was you? What age was it when you was like, this is a problem now? And you and you was like maybe I need to start kind of like seeking the help or it's um again it's this thing of you know what was a problem in my head it's 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 for me I suppose you know it was looking at it now it was a problem before I started drinking um, but you know while you're in it you know it was the longest relationship I ever had and it had a honeymoon period drinking drugs for sure it was the most fucking fun I've ever had <laughs> at the beginning and you know even a lot of people now I think. A lot of friends I have who aren't, I wouldn't even say addicts. People still carry on doing drugs later on, uh, thinking it's going to be like when they first took it. I think, you know, doing these, getting really fucked up to a certain point, it it, it leaves. It's never going to be as fun as it once was. And you're chasing this thing, knowing because it once was amazing, but they're gone. You know, you've I've completed it. I've completed it. I was running around GTA with no more fucking missions to do to shoot so like, kids in the face. So it's like con- constantly chasing this this never-ending high, and you'll you'll never get that kind of same kind of 
first was what you did when you when you were younger, essentially. Dude, totally. And it's unquenchable. It's also like it's amazing seeing people now sobriety when you when you look you if I, a few times I've been in, you know, seen a room of people on like coked up, they do not look like they're having a good time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one is having a laugh. And it, and, and it's so fascinating. Like I've 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 obviously been around it obviously at uni and stuff and um even in London now it's it's such a massive thing. Like it, I'll be honest as yeah. well. I've ne- I've never I've never done drugs. Like I've never done like cocaine or anything. And and the reason being, and I've always been really like honest with like it sounds ridiculous, but I said to my nan like, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I'll never do that kind of stuff. But I think it's well, I'm quite an anxious person. So I think like, for me, I just don't think I would have a good time, even if I did take it. Cause I think I'll be so anxious about taking it. I'm like, it'll make my night even worse. But like, it's, it's I, I do find it mad that the amount of people like what take drugs, like not all the time, but like, yeah, it, and I think it's just obviously like alcohol it isn't enough. So it's obviously like you say, how do you get that other buzz or how do you get that feeling? I don't know. This this is my kind of totally. experience. With no, it. yeah, you're right. In London, there is there are certain groups where it's very casualized, and you can see it when sort of if they if you come across someone who's from another country, they just they're like almost gobsmacked at the thought of doing cocaine on a weekday. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. If we was like somewhere else where there's other stuff to do or. Say, for example, you lived in Australia and you've got the beach or you've got, it's just like, it's like, it's like the environment as well. And I wanted to touch upon that as well. Obviously you, you've kind of spoke about, is it genetics or is it environment or is it a bit of both? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think, you know, there are many reasons I can make one. It's, um, for me particularly, it's obvious for me that I was born one because those, like I said, it kind of felt like until I, you know, I, I was, I, I, I really found my life through recovery and I say that because that doesn't mean I mean that I was kind of in that battle even before I was drinking as a kid I was I was an addict you can see it there you know I wanted to push things I wanted to I was I had a great discomfort in my own skin you know and I I was I was really excited to try drugs and alcohol I went searching for it and you know I didn't grow up in a house where it was there I I really wanted to find it because there was something that could make me feel different, you know. That's um, and there's, there's, there's no, there was nothing to point at at that age to say, oh well, you know, he's, this makes sense because this was this. But the only thing you can see is my father was a raging alcoholic, but sober. Um, but yeah, it gives anything that can make it. I think you know, trauma. I mean, there's plenty of trauma that can trigger you onto that thing, and you know. Also, you know, fucking like, look at like, if you look at also America, particularly like the Oxycontin um, epidemic, you can't help but see there is, there, there's a nurture aspect there. People who didn't know they were hooked on these things are now physically hurt. People who have a shit life turn to this. So there's a lot of different angles in it, but I think there is the raw beast that is in a, a lot of addicts where it's, this is just who you are. You know, and it, it comes down to uh, um, a different mindset chemically. I was you know, say, when it's I drink, like, something different happens to yeah. me. It's like shifting that identity as well. You know what I mean? If like, I am an addict, it's like, how do you shift that identity? You know, like before when you kind of mentioned about identity and not being comfortable in your own skin. Then obviously yeah. when you kind of turn to drugs, then it's just like, oh, like, this, this is who I am. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you um, yeah, you start to own it. This, this is who I am. Yeah, I just, 
it, it, it completely took over my life in that sense. Yeah, I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't have so like, and to be like that drunk where you're kind of self-aware, it's just through the mud because you're like, I, I knew I was that guy. I knew I was that guy. If I went out, you couldn't understand a word I was saying or, you know, I would be falling all over the place. And it's almost like there's something cognitive inside me that can think all these things where it's just like, because it's that regular. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, you you mentioned that briefly about obviously your dad obviously dealing with alcohol addiction. That that wasn't something you ever kind of witnessed when in your kind of early years when you was growing up. That was something. Yes. No. Well, I mean, he was sober all all my life. I mean, there's a thing where he, yeah, I, I never saw him drunk, but he never saw me sober, unfortunately. Yes. But um, yeah, you know, I feel I feel I, even though you, it feels like a sad sentence in itself. There's also you know an amazing sort of magic to it that I, I'm part of this thing that he was a part of um, after he even now that he's gone um, and it, it's, it's just it's, so it's weird it's a part of you which yeah. wish you could like I mean I, I can like talk to him about what you're going through now obviously because he obviously went through very similar well yeah I, I've, I've, I mean of course of course of course I mean you know there's a but then yeah, there's this amazing thing that I have that he was a writer and I get to read him. And that's, that was a huge thing of keeping me sober. So, yeah, he did. I, I got his message eventually. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that, that was obviously a bit later on because I know you've, you've spoken about in your early years of growing up, you didn't read any of your, your father's stuff. Oh, well, I didn't read anything full stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could probably, yeah, you you could you could count the amount of books I've read with with, with your hands. Yeah, and you you had this like very kind of like godlike thing where when you was in rehab, like someone gave him someone gave you a book of his, um, which he wrote um, about yeah. obviously his experience with addiction. I mean, how was it reading that? I mean, that bring back a lot of memories. Was it quite hard reading reading it? No one. Well, it was, it was, yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, there's, there's just nothing to compare it to. <laughs> it was the most, yeah, you know, surreal thing ever. And that was the beginning of my recovery because it was being able to see this. Yeah. I never really thought we were similar or in, in many ways, me and dad. And yet it was like, I had written that everything he was, he had been through. It was what I was going through and to see that, it, okay, this is, he was in exactly the position I was in and he found this new life. And so that was a big thing to show me, okay, I can too. And, you know, he also did that in an amazing way. Um, ha finding all these amazing things after he's died in not only that, but also like in, you know, writing, you know, I've been, I've been more into journalism now in the last year and I would have never done that ever without knowing that he was even more dyslexic than I was. And failed all those like English exams and all that, and yeah, it was that lesson of well, you don't need to be able to spell to write or to have a voice. Yeah, I know it's been amazing. I've been reading your stuff. Um, I actually got a, a subscription to the Times to read um, some of the articles you've been reading, and um, yeah, which is kind of oh, thank you. I should get a fucking yeah. Like, I, I was going to say, where's your where's your code? Like, you should have like a little code you can like dish out, but also as well, obviously, like. Um, your experience of you spoke about like in private catering and I mean 
some of the, the craziest of people <laughs> would, would ask for. Um, yeah, but yeah, parrot. Uh, and I was going to say, how how was that experience? Obviously, in rehab, was it was it quite a scary experience? Obviously, you kind of spoke about on that train journey. It was very similar to your dad um, on the way to rehab. I mean, what was that experience when you got there? Um, do you know it's it was it is a bit scary. I mean, it's more just horrific. The first week is horrific because you're kind of you're in detox, so it's coming off all the fucking horrific stuff you're on, and that's not fun at all. <laughs> that's enough to never want to go back again but then you know you guess i guess there's an amazingness to it it's because as someone who didn't want to be drinking or doing drugs anymore i was in a place where i didn't have that option you know at the end of the day uh, i've got i've got i've got a disease that makes me drink but i still choose to do it but it's a but it but it's in me that it's hard to make that right choice um so there the choice was literally taken away from me and it felt looking back like a shelter from a storm that saved my life just at the right time you know like i was really on the brink of losing everything so to get that shelter i mean like, it's, it's so hard people ask me i know especially to newcomers to say like what's it like that it doesn't there are no words that feel right saying i can't say it was good or great or, or shit none of it really made sense it was it was the beginning of the rest of my life though and Did i you- look back on it in all did you have to hit the rock bottom to kind of, I'm just, yeah, I'm just trying to think, did you, did you have to reach that really low point to be like, for that life changing moment then to happen, obviously going to rehab and getting this. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think you do. I think, but you know, it's, I think a rock bottom, I think everyone looks at, when you hear a rock bottom, everyone wants like a specific um, event. You know, like a title, I don't know, like you, you shut yourself at your mum's dinner party and that was the rock bottom. But actually, you know, it, it, it's much more a place. It's a space and time, you know. For, 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 um, there's a book of rock bottoms I could write. And maybe yeah. I will. Yeah. <laughs> keep. But it's much more a place where you're just done. You know, you are done with life. Do you think, do you think you'll ever write a book about your experiences later on in life, about what you've been through, very similar to your dad? Maybe. Never say never. But not for not another moment. I mean, how long have you been sober now? Uh, I am coming up three and a half years. Yeah. Is it yeah. still, is it still, I always think like, um, I think I asked Eddie, is it really hard? Is, is, it, is it always that, the, the thought in the back of the head there at times? Like, oh, is it? No, it gets smooth sailing. This is what I've always, you know, and it's so hard trying to get that through to people who are, you know, dabbling. I think it does get smooth. So the fact of, I try and hold, you get to a point where you can hold your life in one hand and your recovery in the other and they don't touch. That's the point I want to try and get, you know, that I am at. But, you know, it's also, I try and keep a humbleness in it because really what I've learned as well is I'm in danger if I start believing I'm not a newcomer anymore. If you start thinking, oh, I've got this, you know, this is this is a, a disease really that works on ego, ego and pride. So the thought of thinking, oh, I'm in charge now is a very slippery slope to go back to everything else. You know, I can I can start thinking, uh, even like, you know, I've had times in the early recovery where you think, oh, well, maybe I could do, you know, magic mushrooms and, you know, that that would be fine. And it's, it's, it's this thing of maybe you would be, but you're taking the step in your ego of thinking, give me that, I'm in charge now. Yeah, you know, it's quite a scary I can do this. kind of like, yeah, territory. All about humbling yourself. 
you know, and realizing that I had no control over this thing. I mean, how's it been with your friends? Have they obviously been like yeah. supportive throughout this whole thing? And sure. I mean, have, yeah. have you lost friends as well? Like, yeah, I was gonna much, say, yeah. the one still above ground. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. I've got I've got some friends who are still here, some who are, who aren't. But I only surround myself, yeah, with supportive people. But it's funny because you know when you're using, you don't have a clue what that is you the amount the places and the people you spend your time with is just and you know you only only in loving yourself and sobriety of a life worth living you start to value your time i used to go to dinner parties and it would go on for three days you know i think i think that's what i've experienced like more so recently i think as i've got older is like definitely valuing your time and the, the time you spend with the people and if if they're not making the same effort back it's like why should i put the, the kind of the same energy Completely. into this like friendship Completely. and that's something I've, I've been really kind of like like cut people off like i don't know it is more so this year it's mad really like you kind of as you get older i mean i've just moved back to manchester as well but you find it like if there's people not putting in the same time and effort why should i why well, should you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, you got to surround yourself with your same level of hunger. I think I don't care. You know, that's that's, that, that's everything. Because at the end of the day, like life is only about all that. It's all about the people. Yeah, yeah. Surround yourself with. I mean, I love to touch upon obviously, obviously becoming a chef. How, how did that kind of come about? Obviously, early on, you, you kind of mentioned that you felt a bit lost. How did um, cooking come about for yourself? Well, I am. Um, I guess, yeah, I come from a foodie family. Dad was a food critic. My uncle was a chef. Um, my, but really, it was the only place I could work. You know, the kitchens took me in. The uh, I was completely unqualified. When I was 18, no one would hire me. Well, I mean, like, why would they? But the kitchens will take you in. And that, there's a sort of magic in that. You, that's where you get quite close families in kitchens. And it's the same, you know, you get a lot of, you know, foreigners as well coming and you, you find your home in the kitchen. And it can be, be a complete nomad crew. Um, and so that, and it was kind of by default. And then, you know, the love for food came later, which is what's amazing. Um and yeah, you know, I really do love it. I do love what I do now, and it means so much to me. And you know, I, I'm someone who definitely wouldn't be able to sit at a desk. <laughs> I need to be creating things with my hand. Um, and yeah, I feel very fortunate more than anything to have that. How was that? Obviously, obviously, when you was like obviously um, working in the kitchens, like obviously dealing with addiction alongside that, did that make it worse in some ways? Was was it a very stressful? environment at times working in the kitchen and the pressures and i'd say yes and no you know it's 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 also those things where especially the, i mean like leaving school to be honest that was my also my first feeling as we were talking before of self-worth you know i had a job and i was trusted with things and that was like wow that was a big moment and you know we talk about alcoholism and drug addiction like it's one it's not one big it wasn't one big lineage, you know, from 14 to 27 or being pissed in my room. Of course, there were moments where it got kind of better, like little windows of like pockets of, you know, worse and doing good and then going really bad, but then maybe getting a bit of breath again. 
But you know, these these moments of getting work is really it's really everything. You know, I've realized that actually, you know, loneliness I always used to think loneliness was having no friends and no one around you. But loneliness really is having no worth, no purpose. And that's exactly what alcohol and addiction pushes for you. You wake up with no purpose and no worth. And you can be surrounded by all the people in the world. You are alone. It's really hard like how people find that purpose as well. Like Some people are quite lucky that they can know from a young age, this is what I want to do. But I know, I know, I know, yeah, but I know people as well. Like, they, they've, I don't know, like, they, they really struggle to find that, that, that kind of self worth as well. I mean, do you think, do you think you was looking the sense that you was at, you was probably exposed, obviously, the kitchen through like your dad and like, yeah, but you know, it also, it felt like really hard work. And it's also like, exactly like you say, I was so envious of the people I had, like, really, my best mates around me were, these incredible guitar players and they can just pick up a guitar and those kind of people where it's just like this is what I'm going to be I'm a guitar player I can play the guitar like this I'm a guitar player <laughs> it's like I used to be so envious of that because it's just like really I mean like figuring out what you want is comparatively so much harder than actually getting that thing actually knowing what it is you want to do in any in any mode of life is it's it's a really fucking hard thing to understand Getting what you want will always be easier than that. So it's a long fucking journey, that. And it's, uh, and yeah, you know, for a long time, I've, I've found it in, I'll, in I'll, substance. How have you come, how have you kind of, obviously you've learned this through experiences, but did did you get therapy as well? Or was it, or was it just self-reflection? I mean. Well, now. Yeah. yeah, just in general, really. Like, because obviously you can look back at these moments now and be like, this is how I felt at the time till now. I mean, yeah. Did, did you ever get yeah, yeah, therapy yeah. to kind of look back at your past? Absolutely, absolutely. No, therapy is so is everything. But you know, I, I the rooms are my big therapy now. I have a therapist who I go in and out of every now and again, and I had in earlier recovery. Um, and yeah, that that was I, I find it really hard, and that's how I know I need it. Talking about those things, I find really hard. Um. Is there a, a stigma attached to that, do you think, with males? Do you find that, like, do you feel like more guys now are kind of being open about getting help or speaking to a therapist? So, so I've got friends where I'm like, I know that then, like, it would do them good, but then I don't know. I think, like, sometimes, like, no, I don't need it. I'm fine. You know what I mean? Telling them they need it is an insult. <laughs> All right, that's where I'm going wrong then. No, I don't think I ever mean? said that, but I think I might have, like, worded it in a way, but... um yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think there is. She, I mean, like, I, I, it's so weird because it's like this thing again where, like, I, I know what the the rational feelings are. I know that therapy is amazing and all that, and yeah, I still there is something inside of me that feels like even embarrassed to cry. I feel really embarrassed to cry. Um, and but I know that I shouldn't. You know, I've done all the work in this and you know trying to better myself, and I know what the rational correct thing is, and yet it's still there. I feel embarrassed as a bloke to cry. And yeah, you know, especially I don't do it that often because yeah, you know, as a kid, I remember I used to cry all the time, and I remember that feeling of feeling so embarrassed about it. I used to cry really easily. I mean, I'd fall down and I'd cry, but I didn't want to cry, and so I think I trained myself to never cry. 
I think you're like me, to be honest. Like, I think my girlfriend's seen me cry once in the four years we've been together. And she's always, she calls, like, you've got black heart. Like, you never cry. Like, we could watch something sad. And yeah, maybe I, <laughs> I need to speak to her. Because I, I, I honestly, like, yeah, I'm trying to find a therapist at the minute, actually. Um, it's actually really, really fucking hard at the minute trying to find, they're all like full capacity and I've already reached out. Really? To like, yeah, reached out to That's like. That's really interesting. Reached out to five or six. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah, it's mad. Like you just can't seem to get one. Um, but yeah, like. You do it's, online. Uh, what's that? You can do it online, can't you? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And that's why I've been trying to do it. Exactly. Well. Like, yeah, wow. but, um, but yeah, it's interesting about obviously guys not crying. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know what mine is like. Maybe it's I find it hard to tap there's in. There's something like, yeah, there as yeah. well, you know. Especially as you see, like you know, the the biggest killer of you know suicide of young men. And then I remember actually my therapist telling me, which which is also even more interesting. I thought I knew that the biggest killer of young men was suicide, but then if you take all the suicides in England, and the three things they have in common, most in common, is white male and over 15 uh and that's obviously it's obviously not the biggest killer when you're over 50 because other things are killing you but it's still the most common demographic is white male over 50 and it's because i think you know as a bloke you get to that age and you're like have i have i been a success or not I think there's it's more probably sad. yeah i mean i think there's even more pressure now obviously like um so obviously like growing up probably same for you it wasn't really like social media and like now there's like a constant like seeing what other people are doing or where they're where they are in their life and it's it's very hard not sometimes to like compare and like well this person's been more successful or they've got nice fit you know you know what i mean or they've got nice holidays it's it can be really hard i think more so now for like the younger demographic growing up is like this constant comparison with your next door neighbor or like the person across the road um so yeah, no, or what's online? Yeah, it's just mad. Yeah, yeah. It's just... but again, yeah, we're, it's, it's that age of back in my day. <laughs> yeah, I know we're getting to that age now, kind of thing. Like I was gonna say, obviously, um, obviously being a chef, how come you made the transition from the kitchens to kind of doing the the private catering? Um, do you, well, do you know what it was a big thing when I when I got clean? It was like I can't go back. But do you know what? It's funny. I. I I, I, in many ways, my career started when I got clean. You know, I was not taking it seriously. And, you know, I got it to, even to the point where I was unhirable. You know, I used to have little stints in kitchens, but it, I would never turn up towards the end. And, you know, like I said to you before, there was like, there's a good few jobs that I did only for a couple of months, but what it was, I was just earning the money to be high for that shit. And it was just, that is a depressing circle to be in just to have the drugs to work as you're doing it um so yeah you know there was at first i didn't want to go back into that and i did it very lightly of you know not a catering company but just doing private gigs taking it slowly and then since then it's just sort of blossomed and it's been amazing it's been an amazing journey and i have gone back into kitchen since then which has been amazing because it's kind of like Really, what you thought you gathered from that is yeah. I went back into a kitchen thinking, you know, there's going to be drugs everywhere. And it's the same thing of like, the, you know, when I got sober, I was like, how can anyone be sober? There's, there's drugs everywhere. And it turns out, you know, I was just bringing the drugs everywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> it was you bringing them all along. <laughs> the drugs were in my pocket. 
Um, so yeah, you know, it, it, it it's all it's all shit FM up here. I was gonna say, is it? I, I know you, you you spoke about it briefly. Is is it quite hard what? with when you become a chef to really build go up that Don't that ladder? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a it's a bizarre ladder to climb. It's it. You know, like, like I said, most of us, we don't, we're not good at m- many other things. Um, well, we are, but we just, we just don't maybe know it or this is the only way that we can know how to sort of portray it. And actually, well, it's a really funny one, Chess, because it's the only job where you can get to, you can climb to being the top as a head chef and very often people will deny the role. So many, many, many chefs don't want to be head chefs. Um, and it's primarily because that's when sort of the algorithms start coming in and you've got to start doing paperwork and you've got to start, you know, making numbers and making schedules. And that's like, I don't know, that's, I'm not, that's I'm a chef because do. I yeah, can't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. And he gets that point and that's, that's what they're doing. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It's like, I've yeah. done full circle. It's just, how did this happen? <laughs> um, so it, yeah, it, it's, it's a bizarre trade, but you know, it's beautiful and I love it, but it, it, there's definitely a wider conversation that needs to be opened up with it for sure. Yeah, it'd be quite interesting yeah. that. I mean, have you had any like mentors along the way which have which have made a massive part on on your life kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm also I'm part of a um, an amazing organisation, ambassador for the the Bird Chef Project, which is a really really amazing organisation that help about you know opening up this, the conversation to the stigma in kitchens, and they'll come and do you know help presentations and you know they're, they're basically a hotline as well they're they're brilliant um so yeah i'd definitely recommend anyone in the hospitality industry to reach out to them and give them a look up yeah it must be great obviously be able to like connect and obviously use your experience as well um and obviously having that kind of purpose then to kind of help others on the way connect that is it that is all what it's all about we can only keep what we have by giving it away it's but, been an absolute pleasure to get you on the podcast today to kind of, kind of share your experiences and um yeah i really appreciate you coming on thank you so much buddy let me know when you're in london yeah i'll be back um i'll cook you something yeah december yeah not not free yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i'll give you a good price yeah it sounds <laughs> good all right i'll make sure to connect when i'm back but yeah honestly thanks again and um i'll keep you posted once out if anyone wants to give you a follow, do you just want to quickly share your, your handles? Sure. At Ali Gill 421. 